Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before I continue, on August 30th at 2pm Mountain Standard Time, I'm hosting another Zoom History Conference. This conference is all about T.G. Hamilton, a man who used to be the MLA in Winnipeg, and then he became a man who started conducting seances. But his seances were very popular, bringing people like Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to his house. It's a really interesting story, and you can register on my website for $5. Just go to CanadaEHX.com and click register. The conference is also free for my patrons, and you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Just go to Patreon.com CanadaEHX. When we think of internment, we often think of Japanese internment. But there have been many other types of internments. And today, I'm talking with Todd, who's on the board of directors for the New Brunswick Internment Camp Museum, which is the only museum in Canada devoted to the history of non-Japanese World War II internment. And we talk about a variety of things. Jewish internment, German internment, Italian internment, and just the whole concept itself and whether it could ever happen again. It's a really interesting interview, and I hope you enjoy it. So let's get right to it. So uh, tell me a bit about the New Brunswick Internment Camp Museum and uh, how it got started. Sure. The, um, the New Brunswick Internment Camp Museum uh, is located in Minto, New Brunswick, and it has a collection of over 600 objects. Um, and it is one of uh, only two museums in Canada devoted exclusively to World War II internment. Um, and only one of five in North America. Uh, the museum came about in 1997, um, but really the, the origin of it, origins of it started at, back in 1993 um, when a local teacher, uh, who happens to also be my father, uh, Ed Casey, <laughs> was working with um, at-risk students and developing programs to keep them engaged and try to keep them in school. And he started to take them on little mini archaeology digs uh, where the uh, original site of the internment camp was. And that was extremely popular and very successful. And then he ended up having the students make a to-scale model of the camp as a project, which ended up then touring around New Brunswick. Um, and my, my father won a national teaching award for that. Um, and what they ended up doing was displaying some of the archaeological finds at the local elementary uh, junior high school where my father worked. And when people started seeing that, local, uh, the local population around New Brunswick, and specifically Minto, started bringing in more and more artifacts or objects that they had in their house. Maybe their father or grandfather was a guard at the camp or had some connection and the collection just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, it reached a tipping point that they decided uh, to start a museum back in 1997. Why, uh, why, why focus on uh, World War II uh, versus say other times? Was it just because it, it was New Brunswick and that was kind of where more of that history lied was World War II than say like World War I or other times? Well, it was because of the camp itself. So uh, next to Minto, um, in a, a small little uh, 
township called Ripples, which is halfway between Minto and Fredericton, which is the capital of New Brunswick, uh, there was a World War II internment camp. Um, and it is the only, or it was the only World War II internment camp in the Maritime Provinces. Um, and the camp is, is gone. The only thing that's left that's extant and visible is uh, the superstructure of the water tower. Um, so it was a piece of history that a lot of people in Minto and in the area kind of knew about, but it was sort of being forgotten. And uh, it was part of the local history of Minto, which is really just a small, originally coal mining town of about 2,000 people. Um, but it was, it also linked Minto to the greater narrative of Canadian history and, and Canada's involvement in World War II. Uh, obviously Japanese internment kind of, it's the, it's the one everybody knows about, maybe the one that gets written about the most. Uh, so do you feel like the internments, like you mentioned in New Brunswick, that kind of gets lost, uh, in, in the history when compared to the Japanese internment? And, and like you said, uh, kind of the people just in, even that, in that area were forgetting about that internment camp that was there, you know, 70, 80 years ago now. Yeah, exactly. I, I I do. I do think that it's it's getting a bit lost. Um, however, you know the, the history of Japanese internment is incredibly important. Don't get me wrong. Um, it, it is. Um, but the you know the other World War II internment camps in Canada, of which there were many, um, are equally important. And you know. Those camps interred Jewish refugees who were escaping uh, Nazi Germany um, and the Holocaust, and they interred Canadians, Canadian citizens who, for whatever reason, maybe spoke out against uh, the war or had links to fascism, or some of them just the fact that they had been born in Austria or Germany or Italy were incarcerated. Um, and that's, it's a difficult part of Canada's history, but I think it's very important to be, to be told. I, I don't want to say like, oh, you know, that, that would never happen today. Uh, we wouldn't do things like that today. Uh, you know, anything can happen, but why do you think internment was generally accepted back then as like, that's something we need to do because it's wartime? Um, well, I, I mean, you're right. It, it, it's, I mean, it's happening sadly now in uh, south of the border in the US. But it, it, it does seem to, you know, the, the, the concept of incarcerating uh, groups of people uh, does crop up more very often during times of war. Um, and I would argue that that's due in part to fear and racism, uh, you know, xenophobia, you know, it's, it's a powerful aphrodisiac for people who are looking to oppress um, or control a certain population or group. Um, it happened in World War One, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. and, it, and it happened in World War Two in Canada. Uh, this is kind of speculation, so it's always hard to say, but do you think something like internment like that could happen again in Canada? Or 
do you feel like we've moved past that thing and we've maybe learned from the lessons of the past with Japanese internment, German internment, and things like that? Uh, sadly, I, I, I fear that it could, but I am hopeful that it won't uh, happen again in Canada. You know, as I, as I mentioned, it's, it's happening in the U.S. now with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the current administration. So if we don't pay attention to our history and know our history, um, it, it's, it, it's a pro, you know, it's something that could, that could happen again. So we have to always be uh, very cognizant of that and uh, make sh- to make sure that it doesn't happen again, to be diligent really. Mm-hmm. Is uh, is war generally the reason, like the main reason people are interned, do you feel? Uh, obviously we saw it in the First World War, but especially in the Second World War with uh, uh, German, Jewish, and uh, Japanese. Yeah, and it was German, it was German, Jewish, Japanese, also Italian. Many, many Italian Americans were, were interred as well. Um, I mean, again, war creates this constructed narrative of us versus the other. Um, and that can lead to, again, racism and, uh, you know, fear of, of, of the unknown. It's important that, that we know that this difficult history can happen because of war. You know, if you're a war with a group, you start to group that person, that group, those people as, uh, as sort of under one, one cluster, which is, you know, stereotyping them. Um, and it can be under the, you know, oppression happens often under the auspices of, uh, you know, national interest. Even if some of the people that you are oppressing happen to be citizens of that country. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the the camp that was in New Brunswick, what were the conditions like for the people who were interned there? Uh, that, that's an excellent question. There were, I think first it's important to realize there were two phases of the uh, internment camp um, in New Brunswick. The first phase uh, housed or incarcerated uh, mainly Jewish refugees. Uh, there were roughly 711 um, prisoners at that time in phase one, and they were mostly uh, Jews who had escaped uh, Austria or Germany uh, to England and then were sent to Canada uh, to basically to, for lack of a better word, um, they, they were concentration camps. Mm-hmm. Um, the second phase was and the first phase was was roughly from 1940 to 1941 the second phase was 1942 to 1945 on the second phase housed um both canadians who had for whatever reason been deemed a uh, a security risk and uh were incarcerated and they also uh, along with them there were a German and Italian merchant marines who had been captured, uh, who were in the same camp. And so the, 
So the conditions were different between those two phases. Um, the first phase, they were, you know, there were there were there were refugees, um, and I, I I think there was a different view of them once they were in the camp and the guards and the the officers realized that these were really people who were not a threat and they were not the enemy. Um, and there, a lot of them were highly educated, uh, ended up, a lot of them ended up having very profound impacts on Canadian history when they, when they, uh, got out. Um, whereas with the second phase, there were this, there was this weird mixture of Canadians and actual enemy merchant Marines, um, who, you know, were the enemy mm-hmm. during the war, who fought against the Canadian army. Um, with Japanese internment, you, we saw, uh, the males being put to work in, uh, work camps, uh, especially up north in uh, northern British Columbia. Did that happen there as well? Like, were these kind of working uh, internment camps, or was it just they were kind of housed there and they stayed there and that was that? Uh, they, they were working internment camps. Uh, the, the prison population was all male. There were no females uh, at the camp. And this camp was called Camp B or Camp 70, depending on uh, uh, different periods of the war. Um, we tend to refer to it as just Camp B-70. But it was, it was, a, uh, it was a labor camp. Um, they, the prisoners were required to work to, without pay to provide for basic camp functions like administration, cleaning, cooking. But any labor uh, beyond camp maintenance was essentially voluntary and paid, but uh, they were forced to, to work. Um, they had to work five days, five and a half days a week with only Saturdays, afternoons and Sundays off. Um, most of the work involved going out into the wood and cutting firewood. Uh, the camp was in the middle of the Acadia uh, research forest and they, they cut and transported over 2,000 cords of wood a year just to feed the camp's uh, 100 large wood-burning stoves. Um, and uh, <laughs> they, uh, each prisoner was, was expected to cut one cord of wood per day. And uh, the, uh, we have an account from a, a forestry uh, officer uh, during that time who said that the majority of the prisoners uh, did not take to forestry work very well. Uh, he noted that, you know, they worked with, and I quote, great inefficiency, being untrained, unwilling, and poorly equipped. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was hard work, especially in winter. And, and you can imagine how cold it was, uh, you know, in, in Canada, uh, for people who may not be used to that kind of weather to be out there uh, cutting wood every day. <laughs> um, how many people were at the camp? Uh, the, the first phase had, as I mentioned, 711 uh, uh, prisoners, and the second phase had over 2,000. Okay. Um, with the Japanese internment, we saw after it 
was finished, a lot more rights were given to Japanese Canadians. Uh, certain uh, racist restrictions, especially in British Columbia, were taken away. Did any kind of changes come after after the war and after the internment camp was uh, was uh, closed down for for a lot of these people, especially who were uh, refugees? Um, that's a that's a great question. The, to my knowledge, there was no, you know, there, there was no large uh, uh, act of reparation, um, and uh, you know, some it was more, you know, case by case, different, especially for the refugees. Some of them were were well, so they were allowed to apply to. Uh, be released even during their incarceration into Canada. They could have a, a Canadian vouch for them, and if they could show that they could be of value to the war effort, uh, some of them were released. Uh, you know, one particular one was uh, a gentleman named uh, Fritz Bender, who was released so he could invent. He was the inventor, and he was working on it. He invented waterproof plywood. Uh-huh. Um, and that invention, uh, which happened in Canada, the Canadian government uh, agreed to remove him from the camp, um, and the, the waterproof plywood uh, allowed the the invention of the mosquito bomber, which was <laughs> influential in our in you know the Allied forces winning the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there, I mean there are some, there's some amazing individuals uh, and individual stories uh, from the camp. The, uh, the mayor of Montreal, Camillian Hood, um, was interned there while he was mayor. And surprisingly, he, after he was released, was reelected. Um, yeah. That's, that's uh, crazy that <laughs> he's mayor and yeah. reelected. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, he, he, a lot of people have written about Camillian. He's, he had a very, very interesting uh, history. <laughs> but also, um, well, the Fred, uh, Fritz Bender, who I mentioned, but also uh, Fred Kaufman eventually became a Quebec Supreme Court judge. Um, John Newmark uh, became one of Canada's most important musicians and composers and uh, accompanists. Uh, Helmut Coleman is considered, well, at least was considered Canada's most distinguished music, music historian. Uh, he wrote uh, a history of music in Canada in 19, or sorry, 1534 to 1914, and he was chief of the uh, music division of the National Library of Canada. Uh, Vincent Poggi was a very well-known artist. He did a lot of stained glass that are in a lot of the uh, churches in Eastern Canada, um, and a lot of professors and doctors uh, from. All the music, all the universities in Canada, um, they're scattered with former inter- internees or, or prisoners from Camp B seventy. And one going back to your original question, there was a gentleman named Oscar Bendel who was a Canadian citizen, and he was only interred uh, from from all accounts uh, because he was born in Austria. Um, and the Canadian government seemed to want his property to build a, a, a factory. And uh, the RCMP interred him. Uh, he was first interned in Petawawa and then moved to the, the, the New Brunswick camp. And 
They seized his property, kicked his family, his wife and his six kids out to the streets where they almost, where they almost starved and did not pay the family for the property. Um, and he was released in 1943 and did not, the Canadian government finally returned the, the land to the Bendel family, uh, but not until the year after he died. Oh, geez. When, when was he, that? Uh... Uh, 1996. Oh, wow. So like, Sorry, 19, sorry, not 1996, sorry, um, 1966. So still 20 years, essentially. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, Oscars, I'm, I'm, I'm writing an article about uh, Oscar's story and history uh, right now because he was a talented painter, but his story is unbelievably tragic. Um, in fact, when they released him from the camp, he was, he had no money uh, and he is in New Brunswick. His family lives in Nobel, Ontario. Uh, he had no way to get home. So he walked oh. from, New, from New Brunswick to Nobel, Ontario, over 1600 kilometers. Wow. Uh, sleeping in ditches. Uh, he slept in ditches. He slept on the edge of farms. Uh, he, you know, ate berries, drank out of the streams. And the family estimates it took them almost six months to get home. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's that's an amazing story. Um, one thing that you mentioned that's kind of really mind-boggling is the fact that we, obviously, I'm not comparing the two, but the fact that we did have Jewish refugees essentially in camps, obviously not anywhere near as bad as what they went through in Europe, but still it's something we tend to forget that we had them in camps as well, at least when they were arrived. Uh, so we're not kind of like completely, completely innocent of, of such things. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Craig. And, um, you know, and we, we, we need to be, you know, words matter and we do need to be careful because these, um, you know, we call them internment camps, but, you know, internment really can be considered a, a euphemistic term used by, you know, government agencies to make incarceration kind of appear less cruel or more acceptable to the public. Um, which is part of the reason why we, you know, we being Canadians, we didn't learn about this in our history books growing up because it, the Canadian government was ashamed um, and a concentration camp, which I would argue these were, um, I mean, they weren't death camps, yeah. but they were concentration camps, which, you know, Merriam-Webster's dictionary simply defines concentration camp as a facility where persons, as prisoners of war, political prisoners or refugees, are detained or confined. Um, you know, they, they, they exist whenever a government holds groups of civilians outside of the normal legal process um, to segregate people considered foreigners or outsiders. And that's what happened here. Mm -hmm. I mean, technically concentration, you know, it's, it's concentrating people. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's concentrating them into a camp. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Um, But that, that, that name has, has, a very negative connotation where internment is, you know, it feels softer. 
Um, and, and that's, that's problematic uh, mm-hmm. in some sense. Um, and uh, just my last question. So if people want to learn more about the, uh, the museum, uh, things that you're, you're doing, uh, how to reach you, uh, how to find the museum, things like that, uh, just uh, kind of give a quick rundown. Sure, absolutely. We have, uh, you know, if anyone interested in the museum um, can uh, can go to our website or our Facebook page. Uh, the website is NB Interment Camp Museum.ca. Uh, we do have a Facebook page. Um, uh, I mean, I'm happy to give out my, my email if people are interested. I, I recently wrote a chapter uh, in a uh, in a book uh, called Civilian Internment in Canada that just came out this year through the University of Manitoba Press uh, about the internment camp and the internment camp museum. Um, I've also written an article uh, in the Legion magazine about the veteran guards who worked at the camp who were uh, veterans of World War I. Yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's a great way for people to start. I mean, just Google New Brunswick internment camp and, and a lot of information will come up. Uh, and I, I find it, I think it's very, I mean, I think it's a fascinating and important part of our Canadian history. Mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Todd from the New Brunswick Interment Camp Museum. And if you did, please give a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com. And you can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history on my website. Just go to canadaehx.com. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.